Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists, to CEOs and conflict photographers, to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. Hi Tribers, welcome to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast or welcome back if you're an oldie but goodie. Summer is upon us and as much as the idea of beaches and barbecues might sound exciting to you, they can sound terribly worrying for someone recovering from or battling an eating disorder, which is exactly why Cara and I will be discussing that today. Cara is the blogger behind the award-winning Cara's Corner And in this episode, we discuss her journey, battling an eating disorder, being diagnosed with bipolar and her strategy behind launching an award-winning mental health blog. This episode may be triggering for some, so please proceed with caution. Enjoy. Hi, Cara. Thank you for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. I really appreciate it and I can't wait for you to share your story. So can you do just that for anyone who doesn't know you? Can you just share your story with our readers and listeners? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm Cara, I just turned 30 last week and I've struggled with my mental health on and off for my whole life really. Um, when I was 13, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder and depression. So I've spent sort of the last 17 years stuck in a relapse recovery cycle from anorexia and in 2015 my diagnosis of recurrent depressive disorder was changed to bipolar disorder after a manic episode. So I've been under mental health services fairly consistently since I was a teenager and I've been treated in inpatient, day patient and outpatient at various times. Um, as a teenager I also struggled a lot with self-harm but I've been clean from that for about 12 years now and I'm really confident it's not something I'd ever go back to. Um, so my experiences with my own mental health led to me pursuing this field as a career and I've worked in the NHS in various mental health settings since I was 19. Um, three years ago I qualified as a mental health nurse and I now work alongside a number of the people who looked after me when I was a teenager. And when did you decide and why did you decide to start blogging your journey? Well, I'd written a couple of anonymous guest blogs for Time to Change, who are the um, sort of leading anti-stigma campaign in the UK. Um, I was always really wary of sharing anything that could be traced back to me. So I was really private about my mental health for a really long time. And I was quite ashamed of it. And particularly because I was working in mental health, I was really worried that I'd kind of be Um, outed with my colleagues so it's very very private about it but um, when I joined Twitter and I found the mental health community and I kind of stumbled across a lot of amazing blogs there and then that was when I got the idea to start my own so initially I planned to focus it on the sort of navigating my first year of nursing with a mental illness but it just didn't naturally pan out that way and now I just talk generally about um, my mental health and don't really bring nursing into it particularly. No, I mean, all I can say again is just thank you so much for coming on. I know that sometimes it can be difficult um, to share our most personal stories and journey. So thank you again. We're going to break each one down and we're going to start with 
anorexia. What was your life like, Cara, before you had anorexia? And can you remember the day when you knew you had it? What I really want to get to is how can someone determine if they have an eating disorder? So I honestly can't remember what my life was like before it because I've had body image issues for my whole life and um, I recently found out uh, by my parents telling me that I'd started obsessively weighing myself in primary school so it's something that I've dealt with for, for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really remember how or when it became clear to me that I wasn't well because a lot of my life around that time feels quite fuzzy because it was such a long time ago and because I was so poorly but I do remember as an adult being aware of when I've relapsed. Um, so if you're struggling with eating, have a really intense fear of weight gain, just generally a poor relationship with your food, uh, with food in your body, then I would definitely suggest visiting your doctor. Um, I think there's this big misconception that you have to be underweight to have an eating disorder and that's not true. And often people will feel like they don't deserve to go and seek help if they're not underweight. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, I think society kind of leads us to think that hating our bodies and dieting is normal, but it really isn't. Um, and that is indicative of, of a potential problem, I think. Um, so everyone deserves to have a healthy relationship with food and themselves. But um, BEAT, who are the UK's leading eating disorder charity, have got some amazing resources on there. And they've got some sort of tests that you can do that could indicate to you whether you do have an eating disorder or not. And when is sort of an appropriate time to seek help. So I'd really recommend checking their website out for that. Amazing. And you've obviously done so many things, Cara, as in you have spoken to so many people about your journey. You have spoken to doctors and mental health experts, obviously your parents, Beat organisation, you've written it, written about it. What would you say has been your greatest aid throughout this time? What is the first step that somebody should maybe take if they feel that they are struggling with an eating disorder? There's a couple really. I would say one of my biggest aids is writing, definitely. Um, That helps me to sort of unscramble quite a lot of my thoughts. Um, I don't always publish everything I write, although I am doing that more and more so as time goes on and I am becoming sort of more open about my journey. Um, And as amazing as my friends and my family and my partner have been all through this time, I would say the, the sort of greatest help I've had is from my eating disorder service there isn't any way that I would have recovered without them I don't think as many times as I've been so this is my third time under their service as an adult now and I don't think any of those times I would have been able to be kind of get to where I got to without them so I think if you think that you need professional help then I would definitely seek it out. Now we have bikini body season coming up and I can't tell you how many times I've read either splashed across newspapers magazines or even among friends oh it's you know body season's coming up we need to get ready can you just share your thoughts on that oh I hate it (laughs) um I just think as if women aren't under enough pressure to have perfect bodies as it is it's just really amplified at this time of year and I just think everybody is a bikini body if you put a bikini on it and I hate that so many women are missing out on having some amazing life experiences because they've been made to feel like they have to hide their bodies away yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's one of those things that it, it just shouldn't exist, that term, you know, oh, bikini season's coming up or you need to get bikini body ready. I completely agree with you. I think that anybody goes and if you put a bikini on it, then it is bikini or uh, body ready. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I just find, if I'm honest, that's something that uh, particularly at this time of year, I find very strange because obviously nobody can unlearn 
what they have learned. And I feel that we know so much now. So as much as there's no turning back and we can't go, you know, say back to the 90s when Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell were the women to be looking at or admiring, I do feel like we can reshape our future. And that starts with eliminating some of these triggers, i.e. the bikini body ready movement, if you like. Yeah. And when you were going through anorexia, what outlets would be triggers for you? Social media is a really big one um, because it's so easy to compare yourself to others and sort of 90% of what you see on social media is people's highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always naturally going to think that someone's life is better than yours when, of course, you don't, you're not seeing any of the sort of negatives, really. So like, I do try on my Instagram account to be really real about how difficult recovery is and kind of share the the downs as well as the ups because I don't really want to paint this picture that my recovery is perfect and everyone should kind of aspire for their journey to look like mine because mine is really really up and down um when I was younger I would spend a lot of time on like pro-anorexia websites as well which are really really dangerous and I haven't done that as an adult um I, I think maybe they do still exist. I'm not sure, but they're incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mostly just find diet culture as a whole really triggering and it's pretty inescapable because it's just absolutely everywhere. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's so true. And if you're, if you had a friend, Cara, going through that with you, i.e. they were seeing you suffer and struggle with an eating disorder, is there anything that they may have said which would have been completely the wrong thing to say that maybe we do it those who don't have an eating disorder that we do subconsciously it's really difficult because i think what people are naturally going to comment on for someone with anorexia is their weight Mm -hmm. and that really just kind of puts fuel to the fire when you have an eating disorder if someone's told you you've lost weight it kind of spurs you on um so people would say that i know out of concern but it can be a really difficult thing to say and equally when someone's recovering and they're starting to gain weight they'll have a lot of comments of sort of you look really well or you're looking healthy again and those are just awful because you would just naturally translate those to you look fat and you're gaining weight and everyone can tell and it's really noticeable and I think people really mean well when they say things like that but they can be really damaging to that person Mm. um I would mostly just think opening the conversation up with are you okay um are you kind of going through anything at the moment is there anything i or anyone else can do that would be helpful um and try and take it away from weight as much as possible i would suggest yeah and do you think the media and we as a society approach eating disorders in men and women boys and girls differently And if so, Cara, what can we do to change that? Definitely. And I think particularly anorexia, but I would say so of all eating disorders, are really thought of as a teenage girl's disease. When there is getting a much greater awareness now that men can be suffering, but I still think it's hugely overlooked. And I I would suspect that the number of men that struggle with an eating disorder is still hugely undiagnosed. Um, We need to kind of change the way we think about eating disorders. The diet's gone wrong. I think that's what kind of leads people to think that they're more of a women's illness because dieting is sort of more associated with women mm-hmm. um, because they're actually coping mechanisms to deal with really, really complex emotions that can stem from 
um, trauma, different kind of personality types, um, stress, lots of different reasons that both men and women are completely susceptible to and do experience. Yeah, no, I, um, I find it really insightful, if you like, because being on the other side as someone who hasn't gone through that, I obviously want to do as much as I can, and whether that's changing language or changing how I approach things, I really want to get to the core of eating disorders, spreading awareness, but also talking about men who are going through something mm. similar, maybe, if not a real um, eating disorder or struggling with it. Now, I can imagine, Cara, that opening up about your mental health is very hard. What has been one of the hardest days for you and how did you overcome it? It's really hard to pinpoint specific days because there have been so many of them over the years. But I would say most recently having to admit that I'd relapsed to everyone around me last year was really difficult because I'd been well for for a few years um, and I think everyone kind of thought that I'd kicked it and that was the end of it and we're all really proud of me and I felt like I'd really kind of disappointed people so that was really difficult but the way I got through it was just using the support of my friends and family um, getting support from my eating disorder service um, just generally trying to forgive myself really remind myself it's not my fault and um, BEAT also run an in-person support group in my local area and I've been going there on and off for about eight years now um, and they're, they're an amazing source of support so I make sure that I go there regularly as well. Mm -hmm. Now as I said today we're breaking each one down so I do want to discuss your bipolar disorder because I know you suffer from it. For anyone who is maybe listening who doesn't know what that is could you just explain it? So bipolar disorder is a mood disorder that's categorised by um, different episodes called mania and depression. Um, a high episode, which is mania, is often involving um, really impulsive behaviour like excessive spending, um, lack of sleep, racing thoughts, people might sort of be talking at 100 miles an hour, um, a sense of like inflated self-esteem that is referred to as grandiosity. Um, it's often just thought of by people as that you're just really happy, but it's a lot more complicated than that. And often when people are manic, they can end up feeling really irritable and getting quite angry because you kind of just feel like um, everyone else is trying to bring you down and they can't keep up with you and it's kind of their fault rather than your fault. Um, and also when manic people can experience psychosis and lose touch with reality, which can be really dangerous. Hypermania is a milder form of mania where it just occurs without psychosis and you can also experience depression and mania together simultaneously and that's called a mixed state and they can be really really dangerous. Now you obviously had your eating disorder from very young Cara and then as I've come to understand you started self-harming and then it was only a few years ago your diagnosis was changed to being a bipolar disorder. Now I don't know about this too much because obviously I'm not an expert but did one lead to another or do you think they just happened to have all happened to you? I think I'm just a bit unlucky really. Um, I do have um, eating disorders run in my family. My nan had anorexia um, and there is some evidence to suggest that anorexia can be genetic. Um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest bipolar can be genetic as well, but to my knowledge, I don't know that there's anyone else in my family that has it. Um, I would say that anorexia was more down to my 
personality type and maybe some sort of early life experiences that I had whereas bipolar disorder tends to be thought of based on the sort of knowledge we have at the moment as just sort of a chemical imbalance and there's not really sometimes something might happen to trigger it off but you don't kind of um it doesn't tend to stem from like a result of say trauma or something like that you kind of just have it did you ever have to take time out of school because of your eating disorder yeah so when i was 15 that was when i had my inpatient admission so i was out of school for about eight or nine months so i did my gcse's in hospital um so i never returned to school i, I went in year 11 and then i never went back was that difficult leaving in some ways yes but i was really struggling at school at the time and i wasn't really attending much anyway i was spending a lot of time um sort of going through the school gates and then leaving immediately after my mum had driven away and then sort of just spending time with some like older kids aimlessly walking around and stuff um, and i was getting bullied quite a lot then as a result of my mental health because of self-harming so um it was difficult leaving some of my friends but i was also quite grateful to be away from it because it wasn't a particularly nice environment for me now one thing i do want to acknowledge because i think it's incredibly important is the self-harming and i do want to assure you there is going to be a trigger warning at the start of this podcast so anybody who's maybe particularly vulnerable won't be able to listen to it or hopefully not I really want to talk about that, Cara, because it's only been recently that I've had conversations with younger children who have said that actually in school it's quite easy to turn to self-harming and because it's less of a taboo now, friends of friends who started self-harming are beginning to do it, if you like. Yeah. I'm sorry if that's the wrong verb. For anyone who maybe knows of somebody who is self-harming, how can they warn somebody? What's the appropriate language? Who should they be going to? For young people, I would definitely suggest going to an adult that they can trust, whether that's parent, teacher, doctor, um, whoever that they can, it's accessible really to tell them. Um, it's very difficult to stop once you start. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And that's why people can struggle with it for, for years and years and years. So I would obviously recommend to people that it's just not something that you start. And if you do start, just try and stop as soon as possible, because that's probably one of my biggest regrets, really, is that now I've got scars going back sort of 15 years or so. That there's nothing I can do about that now. And when you have stopped self-harming and you're um, an adult, maybe, who has kind of moved on from it when you were doing it as a teenager, it's kind of upsetting to just be constantly reminded that that was something you put yourself through. There are, there are other ways to cope with difficult feelings and it might feel like there isn't at the time, but there is. And that can be talking to someone, it can be using distractions, it can be doing some self-care. Um, but I would just say to people that there is always another answer rather than having to resort to hurting yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's really sound advice. So thank you for sharing that. Is there anything, Kari, you think in society when it comes to eating disorders, bipolar, perhaps self-harming, that we don't acknowledge? 
I think with regards to eating disorders, we need to acknowledge that only a very small minority of people with an eating disorder are actually underweight. Mm-hmm. Um, the perception that everybody needs to be emaciated means that there are just huge numbers of people suffering in silence because it's not immediately obvious that they have an eating disorder. And um, this perception means that those people feel like they, they don't deserve to get help and they're not sick enough for help. And I think that's so, so dangerous. Um, eating disorders have got the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. So one in five people with an eating disorder will end up dying from it, which is a really scary statistic. And I think that's potentially perpetuated by so many people feeling like they don't deserve to seek help. It's really important to note as well that they're not about vanity. Um, I think there's this perception that people are losing weight because they think it will make them more attractive. I was under no illusions when I was at my most unwell that I looked attractive at all. I know I looked terrible, um, but that wasn't that wasn't the focus of it and I didn't really care. So we need to kind of remove that stigma from it, I think. In terms of bipolar disorder, there's also this perception that it means people have really rapid mood swings that can change sort of over the course of the day several times, which simply isn't true. Um, episodes range from weeks to months and you don't kind of flip a switch between mania and depression in the space of a few hours, which is something that I think people think um, is what happens. Yeah, no, I think it's really important to acknowledge those points in particular and to also, as we said at the very beginning, to start acknowledging that men suffer from eating disorders Mm. as well. I think that's really important because Again, I think we have this tendency as a society, we think, oh, an eating disorder only means anorexia, when actually it can also mean a dependency on steroids, for instance, that can lead um, to body dysmorphia um, and things like that. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that men are sufferers as well. Absolutely. And actually, anorexia is the least common of all the eating disorders, but it's the one that people immediately conjure up when they think of it. So I think we need to really kind of tackle that perception. And one thing we really do need to talk about is triggering triggering points around the summer. We talked about, you know, magazines and on social media, everyone kind of saying, are you bikini body ready? When it comes to this time of year, how do you approach that, Cara? Summer can be really difficult for people with poor body image because I think the sun and the heat often means wearing more revealing clothes, trips to the beach. Um, For myself, certainly, I'd say it generally involves more socialising. It's really important to acknowledge the difficulty for people with self-harm scars too, um, as well as having body image issues. I didn't wear short sleeves for years, regardless of the weather, because I was embarrassed of having self-harm scars. Um, I try and just remind myself now that people are so focused on their own bodies, they aren't really interested in mine. And if they are, that's their problem, not my problem. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's true. When you're on the beach, you think everyone is looking at you and you Mm. think everyone's noticing your boob size or your cellulite or stretch marks or scars when actually everybody's thinking the same. So Mm -hmm. everyone is just thinking about their own bodies. Absolutely. Now on to a different kind of topic, if you like. We are going to discuss your blog, Cara, because it has been very successful and is award winning. What are your blog writing tips? I would say firstly, write what you want to write, not what you think other people want you to write. Um, Because I think it's easy to kind of tell if someone's being naturally themselves through their writing and that for me certainly is what draws me to other people's writing is that I can kind of get a sense of who they are 
um, when I'm reading it. Equally, only share as much as you feel comfortable with. Um, once you put something out onto the internet, it's really hard to get it back. So that's a really important one. Uh, look after yourself and your well-being as a priority and try not to get caught up in all the stats because it can take a really long time to generate an audience and I think your reach doesn't reflect on the importance of what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And did you search for mental health blog awards or did they come to you? I think we just ended up connecting over Twitter a couple of years ago but I was definitely aware of them before I was nominated. Mm -hmm. And what would be your advice for anyone wanting to share their mental health story? Because as you said, once something is on the internet, it is very hard to get back. So before anyone started sharing something that maybe thought only two people would see, but then it could, for example, go viral or something like that, what would be your advice for anyone wanting to share their mental health story? Yeah, I have had a couple of experiences where things have gone viral and it's actually really weird to suddenly think, oh my God, I, I can't get this information back now. Um, so I would say that your story is yours to tell and you can share as much or as little as, it, as you like. Um, nobody is entitled to your trauma or your difficult experiences. That's yours to tell. So definitely look after yourself and set boundaries early on about what you are and aren't happy to share and don't ever feel like you have to share more than you want to because somebody's asking for it. Mm -hmm. And what do you think the greatest challenge is nowadays when starting a blog i think there's so many out there that it can feel really overwhelming but i always say that when it comes to mental health blogging i don't think there is such a thing as a saturated market because every story is valuable and unique and i just think there's room for everyone to share theirs yeah i think that's a really important tip if you like to make because or something I think that's really strong to share because I see quite often on Twitter there are so many mental health bloggers and they're saying oh well if those 10 people are sharing their you know eating disorder story or anxiety story then why would I share mine when actually you're mm -hmm. so right that every story is unique and it's your story and if it's going to help somebody then why not share it Absolutely. Now, you inspire so many people, Cara, so I have to ask, who inspires you? The people I've met through working for Time to Change are incredibly inspiring, as are a lot of the people I've connected with in this community and on social media. Um, in terms of high-profile people, I would say um, Matt Haig, Jamila Jamil, Bryony Gordon. Um, I love Deborah Francis-White. I love Lizzo's approach to body positivity. Um, and for eating disorder recovery on Instagram, I would say I love uh, Megzi Recovery, Body Posse Panda and Tabitha Farrar. Um, and incidentally, Tabitha wrote the book I would say was really pivotal to my recovery this time around called Rehabilitate, Rewire, Recover. So for anybody struggling with anorexia right now, I can't recommend that book enough. It was absolutely life changing. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And what message, Cara, would you like to leave with our listeners who either are going through something similar to what you have, so maybe an eating disorder, bipolar, or they have self-harm previously, or if they know someone going through something similar? I'll just say, please don't suffer in silence and just trust that things will get better. Um, I ended up in hospital last year as a result of anorexia and I was at complete rock bottom and just thought recovery was absolutely impossible. Um, I'm now the most well that I've been for years. So I would just say that there is always hope even when it doesn't feel like there is. 
When you are in that moment, Cara, when you are, as you said, at the very bottom, how do you mentally motivate yourself to come back from that? I think you just have to believe that there's there's more to life mm. than where you are. Um, and a lot of that for me, I draw a lot of hope from the people around me who, when I don't have any hope for myself, I know that they still do. Um, so I, I do draw a lot from that because I think people believe in me so they must see something in me even if I'm not able to see it. So I think surrounding yourself with the right people is incredibly important. Did anyone at the time say anything in particular to you that really struck you, that made you think, right, I need to get better now, it's time? I can't think of like a specific thing, but I do know that... Um, so my my manager is someone that actually looked after me when I was an inpatient when I was a teenager so she knows me really well and her and amongst a few other people just kind of said like is this really what you want to be doing for the rest of your life um you know that this has to be the last time that you do this because every time I think I've got more at stake like when I was a teenager obviously it was my exams and then as I got older it was my college exams and then as I got older again it was university and then this time around it was my job and um as I build up you know my relationship with my partner and my friends and things like that and it's been it's been really clear to me this time around how much I've got to lose because I've, I've been off work for six months now um I missed out on quite a lot of socializing I know it was really really difficult for my partner so I would just say in general it was people reminding me that this kind of had to be the last time really that I put myself and everyone else through it. Now I've asked a lot of questions about how do you approach maybe a friend going through something similar, who's the best person to talk to etc but I'm really curious to know if someone has suffered previously from an eating disorder and then they get into a relationship how do they bring that up with their partner because it may really freak some people out men and women thinking right mm. I'm in this exciting relationship they basically think I'm perfect and now I'm about to drop this bombshell that I have previously suffered or I'm suffering from an eating disorder how can somebody approach that conversation with confidence yeah it's really difficult um so when my partner and I first got together it was when I was on the waiting list for treatment with the adult eating disorder service the first time I went there so this is going back about eight years or so mm-hmm. um I was just really upfront about it from from the get-go I think um we were discussing where we would go on a date and I immediately just said I, I can't go out for dinner this is why um kind of take it or leave it sort of thing um because I think if someone's not prepared to kind of accept all of you as you are, then I think they're not the right person mm-hmm. for you. And I I felt better getting it out in the open early on because I didn't want to feel like I was keeping secrets. And I think the longer you keep something like that in, you're just going to worry about when is the right time to bring it up and have I left it too long to bring it up? And I, I think I would say, yeah, just get it out in the open early on and then you know you'll all be kind of be on the same page about how to move forward, really. And people can't support you if they don't know. Yeah, no, completely. And can I ask what your partner's response was? He was brilliant. Yeah, he was really accepting of it. Um, he must have been conscious altogether. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, this time around, so this is obviously the third time now that he's kind of been through this 
cycle with me and this time around I got a lot poorlier before I got help so I think this was probably the most difficult time for him um he he doesn't really tell me at the time how difficult it is for him because he doesn't want to make me feel any worse than I already do but we have subsequently since I've been in treatment spoken about it and and I know it's been really difficult for him but he's always just been really really supportive wow and when he's struggling because I can imagine seeing your partner go through an eating disorder or mental health issues must be completely devastating does he have any help does he have a support network is there anyone that he turns to um he has people that he could turn to if he wanted to but he's quite a private person so he tends to kind of keep things to himself really but um like my local eating disorder service has got a family and friends support group um beat run a family and uh, friend support group near me um so there is like lots of different options but he tends to like to keep things to himself really and if somebody is listening and they're thinking my gosh my girlfriend wife boyfriend partner whomever has previously gone through or is currently going through an eating disorder this is really hard for me where would you suggest that they turn would you say a local eating disorder service is the best place to turn to so I don't know how it works for other areas, but for, for my local eating disorder service, you can only access their support if your family or, you know, partner or child or whoever is under the service. Okay. Um, so they would have to be being treated by the service first, but I don't know if that's the same for everywhere. But mm-hmm. the BEAT um, support groups can be accessed by anyone um, and they've got online ones as well. And they, they're kind of separated into um, anorexia, bulimia, mm-hmm. younger people, adults, um, family and friends, carers, so you can kind of um, join a group of people that kind of feels most appropriate for you. So I would definitely recommend their website. Mm-hmm. And for Mental Health Awareness Week, Cara, I mean, we are completely committed at Smart Girl Tribe to be focusing on mental health content. During Mental Health Awareness Week, we were posting so much, and we were talking to different people and With one interviewee, we actually started discussing 13 Reasons Why. Obviously, the latest season has come out, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, really. Maybe how they approach mental health, if you have ever seen it, if you haven't, and your reasons behind if you have or haven't. So I actually read it a few years ago, long before it came out on the TV, and I I really enjoyed the book. Um, I've only watched season one, because that was the book and I kind of felt like after that they were the story was different you know mm-hmm. um I've heard not great things about how the other seasons have gone subsequently so I don't feel any sort of desire to watch them mm-hmm. I've got mixed feelings about the first season really because there were parts of it that were really graphic and uh, in some ways I think it's important to kind of show that things aren't um aren't glamorous and are are really traumatic and really painful um but also yeah I think they were probably even for me they were quite difficult to watch and I haven't self-armed for for a very very long time so for people currently going through that I I would imagine that is very difficult for them um I think the mistake they made is that they didn't put trigger warnings up early enough and they only added them after there was this sort of outcry of actually I think it was the last two episodes that were quite traumatizing and 
they didn't acknowledge that at the beginning of the episodes until people kind of commented on it. And I think that was a big mistake that they made, really. And I have to ask, Cara, what is your vision for the future? Where is your blog going? Where are you going personally, etc.? Um, I'd really love to publish a book about my journal of mental illness one day. So I did start writing one a while ago, but um, that's definitely still a work in progress. Um, I'd also really love to expand my Etsy shop into a bigger business. But at the moment, I'm kind of just focusing on my blog and my recovery. And for the first time in a really long time, I just feel quite excited about my future. And what are the essential reads that you would recommend to our listeners? I know some you have mentioned already. So feel free to mention them again. But what are the really important reads you have found, Cara, throughout your journey? I've just started reading Why I Stopped Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge, which um, I'm sort of about a third of the way in now. And that's an incredible book. And I kind of felt like with everything going on in the world at the moment, that it's been on my sort of to be read list for a long time. And I, I thought I don't really have any excuses to not be trying to educate myself a bit more really so that I would definitely recommend it's an incredible book um I don't think I've ever read a book that I felt like it's kind of educating me so much although it is quite an uncomfortable read but I think that's why it's so important um Reasons to Stay Alive by Matt Haig Body Positive Power by Megan Jane Crabb and The Guilty Feminist by Deborah Francis White I all love and if um, you're into poetry or even if you're not I would say this could kind of get you into poetry is um, She Must Be Mad by Charlie Cox which I absolutely adored. Perfect and lastly Cara what is the mantra you live by or your favourite quote? My favourite quote at the moment and one that's kind of got me through recovery this time is you are never too much and you're always enough because I think for a huge number of people including myself um, anorexia stems from a, a really deep-rooted lack of self-worth and feeling not good enough mm -hmm. and it's really important reminder to me that I'm kind of fine just the way I am yeah no I think that's really powerful and I have to ask Cara is there anything else you would like to add um, no, I don't think so. Just thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It was amazing to have you. Thank you again so much for sharing your story. I always say that by sharing your story, you may be unlocking someone else's prison. And I completely stand by that. So thank you again. I really like that, actually. That's a, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Thank you. Well, have a wonderful rest of the day and I'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks, Cara. Bye-bye.